The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. In 2023, it seems like it's appropriate that we relearn some skills on how to do FaceTime, how to get along. And, uh, you know, we just celebrated Valentine's Day, and so I'm doing the most obvious message following Valentine's Day. No, I'm not going to do a message on romance or sex. I'm not going to do a message on marriage or parenting, but on fighting and conflict. Because I'll guarantee you, the closer you get, the more conflict you get. And you haven't warmed up yet. But just a few moments, I mean, I think you're going to, you know, y'all going to nod your head and be like, that's true. Yep, it's inevitable. I mean, you start, you, you get off of your screen and you start getting around real people and suddenly it's not just fireworks, there's fire and there's trouble. And so how do you make that work? Because if you only learn how to deal with conflict over the last three years, here's what you learn. You just cancel people. You just destroy their life. You don't deserve to exist if I disagree with you. We just eliminate you from society. If your opinion is different than my opinion and my opinion is the popular opinion, then we can just silence you. And if we can't cancel you or delete you, then I can just ignore you and just click unfollow, unfriend, remove, and then I could just hide in my echo chambers with everybody who agrees with me and destroy your reputation. I can post things about you that you aren't even gonna know or see because I blocked you from my feed and now I can say whatever I want with impunity. Have I, have I established the case pretty well? And so imagine a culture where this is how we deal with conflict and then people meet in real life. What do you think the younger generation is learning about how to deal with each other? When inevitable conflict arises, I mean, they're on the playground and there's a, there's a conflict over whose ball, who, who has the right to have the ball, and suddenly what are they gonna do? Wanna cancel each other? Delete each other? Go passive aggressive and be nice to their face and destroy them behind their back? Huddle up in the bathroom in their own little echo chambers and destroy their reputation? Hmm. Maybe we're not that far from reality. So let's talk about that. Because here's the other challenge that we've learned over the last couple of years is that there is not only no value in impulse control, but impulse control is actually holding you back from your truest self. Not only do you not have to control your urges or your desires, but you should fully embrace everything you feel and desire. So you should do what you feel, say whatever you think, and believe whatever you want to believe, even if what you believe is absolutely absurd. Some of you are thinking, he better stop while he's ahead. (laughs) Look, here's the reality. When you live in a culture where your truth is your truth, and I could have my truth, and they don't have to necessarily agree or even be fact-based. You have a world that doesn't know how to deal with conflict very well. And so what do we do? Well, rather than just pointing at me and you, let's switch gears and let's go to a different country. 
several years ago, I had this, since we're, especially since we're in a missions week, and by the end, I'm gonna tie it back into missions, and hopefully you guys will be encouraged on both sides, both how to practically apply this in your own personal life and see how this affects our passion for missions. But several years ago, uh, one of my first opportunities to travel to the Balkans, I got a chance to go to Al the country of Albania, which if many of you, are, if you know what we do within missions, uh, uh, there's a church in Albania that is one of our Lifehouse Network churches, and they are planting churches, and they're a, they're a key partner with us in that region, serving both Kosovo, Montenegro, and all the way over to Macedonia out of the northern region of Albania. Well, and when I got there, one of the things we learned quickly is that the northern region of Albania is very different than the southern portion, which borders Greece. The northern portion, which borders Montenegro and Kosovo, um, has some ancient practices, one of which is called a blood feud. And that means that if, um, one, if, if an individual murders someone, the family of the murdered individual basically kicks into a blood feud of revenge, and everyone in the family of the murderer has to go into hiding until someone is killed, meaning it's payback. And so, and, there, and it wasn't just like theoretical, one of the pastors that should have been meeting with us was in hiding because someone in his family had murdered someone. And so he had a younger pastor who was on his staff, basically running the entire church and would have to multiple times a week go over to this guy's house to get his working instructions for the rest of the week. And they would just keep going back and forth. And so they're just talking about how difficult this was because the lead pastor was in a blood feud. And uh, I, several years later, I had gone back a couple different times, but this particular time when I went back, got word that that pastor had actually left his house on a particular occasion and got gunned down. I mean, it's crazy. And, and so hap what happens there is it's not just blood feud. If someone, if they, if they murder someone with a blow to the head, then you kill two people. And not just the murderer or another member of the family, but then you, you get two for one. And, and so the whole, you know, basically the whole family is in hiding until two people die. And so now that the pastor got killed, and I, I think it was uh, somebody, had, the murderer had already been killed. And so now then the whole family can finally come back out of hiding. And you hear that, and hopefully you hear it, and you're like, that's crazy. Although it doesn't feel crazy because the world we live in does it. And, and so the reason I share that is because it feels like a culture and each other are in endless blood feuds. And Jesus was teaching about how we should value people, how we should value people's lives because your life and your neighbor's life and your friend's life and even your enemy's life was made in the image of God. And then, and then Jesus tells a story about how much God values people and, and he uses the illustration of a lost sheep to make the point that God loves people so much that he would be willing to leave the 99 sheep in safety to go pursue and find the one in order to bring them back. And then, and then he, makes, he, go, he goes a step further and goes, and that's kind of how you should be with people that you're in conflict with. So then if you keep reading down in, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is an eyewitness account, right? Matthew is writing this, having listened to Jesus preach this message. And so Matthew records that Jesus says this next, if your brother sins against you, and he's gonna go on and talk about dealing with conflict. But notice that he, he makes this point, if your brother, and, if, and you could say that's kind of generic, right? So if your brother or sister sins against you, and he's saying, don't wait until they come to you, right? So think about how most of us deal with conflict. What you, what you would think that Jesus is saying is, if you 
wrong someone else, then you should go to them. But what he, what he says is, if someone wrongs you, you need to go to them. And, and so the point is that you don't sit around waiting for them to come and say they're sorry. You go and you deal with it. In a blood feud, when, when the one family loses a, a family member to murder, they pick up the feud and they go after this family, the entire family, right? And so if you're the, if, if you're the one, you're part of the family that was, had the murderer, right? You all have to go into hiding. And, and so Jesus, if you know that you did wrong, or so, then you have to go and pursue them, meaning you go and you make it right. And, and you know, I realize that, you know, maybe you're not in a physical blood feud with somebody, but it's interesting how blood feuds take, make, uh, take all kinds of different shapes, don't they? Maybe you're not trying to physically take someone's life, but maybe, maybe you've destroyed someone, their reputation or their name through slander or just rumors or just tearing them or airing dirty laundry. Maybe you're, you're in a blood feud of silence where you've got someone trapped in guilt or regret. You won't let them out of the chains of betrayal. They broke a promise and now you can hold it against them. So how do you, how do you avoid conflict becoming a blood feud? Let me, let me give you a couple tools right off the bat. And I know we got heavy fast. So uh, those of you that are here in person, if you're online, I, you can, I can't really tell if you're feeling tense right now. But if you're in the room, I can see that you're not smiling at me. And so just everybody take a quick break and just smile real quick. Um, all right, so a couple rules of the road for how to avoid getting into a blood feud. Here we go. Don't be condescending. I mean, don't weaponize your words. I probably should have just wrote it that way, shouldn't I, Spence? I mean, that, that was clever wording right there. Don't weaponize your words. So I just wrote, don't be condescending. Don't deflect or distract. Don't, don't try to make it about something else. Don't be rude or don't be mean. Don't be quick-tempered. Don't lose your cool fast and quick. In fact, a caution there. Recognize where you're easily triggered and when you're not in a healthy place because you're most likely to get, you know, to um, be quick-tempered. So you put safeguards in your life to make sure that you're not quick-tempered. And don't pick sides in other people's arguments. Man, we could all learn that just through social media, couldn't we? or on like comment boards online. Like, just, man, don't, don't, get, don't meddle in other people's problems and their arguments. Here, a few others, don't, don't hold grudges. I mean, let go of the past. Don't drudge up the past. I know he hurt you 20 years ago, but at some point, you gotta let it go. I feel like we could start singing there. Um, don't be easily offended. Man, we live in a culture where everybody's offended over everything. Can I just give you a, a quick thought? Be unoffendable. Jesus was unoffendable. Don't react before finding out what's really going on. Some of us, we've put our foot in our mouth because we jumped to conclusions and we said things that after you got the whole story, you were kind of embarrassed because you were like, eesh. I think I spoke before I understood. And so don't react before finding out what's really going on. And don't argue with people who like to argue. 
Again, most of these things could easily be connected to social media, but you know, there's that old saying about, you know, if you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty, but only the pig likes it. There are people that just like to argue. They like being in conflict. They like drama. And we have a saying in our home, and we've had it for many years, pretty much from when our first daughter could talk. I had a saying, and I've used it for many, many years because I had three girls first. And I always said, we are low drama. So every time there was an issue, I would just go, ho, ho, ho. What does daddy always say? We are low drama. And, and I would say that if within the church context and within the Christian community, we are low drama. So what is Jesus' instructions? I gave you some don'ts. What are the do's? Here we go. He goes, all right, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Now, you realize what he's saying, right? He goes, don't wait for them to come and say they're sorry to you. Don't hold a grudge against them. He goes, you have an issue. They've done you wrong. They've sinned against you. And by the way, the word sin means it's an obvious breaking of God's law against you. This isn't just like a light offense. This isn't like they cut me off on the road. This is like, clearly this is a sin. He goes, you go to them. If you point out their fault just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that the, that." Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two or three agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And that's an important point that he gets to kind of toward the end is this idea that it, when you're gathered in prayer and agreeing that God is there and he shows up and he answers, but it also is this, it's reflective. What, what Jesus is getting at is when you're in conflict, when there's two or three people together, God's present. Be careful how you're arguing and fighting because God's present where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. So what, I wanna give you a key principle that you can apply to your life when there is inevitable conflict, which is a statement we make you know, frequently, right? You can say conflict, inevitable, combat, optional, but that's not the point I wanna drive at today. What I really wanna get at is this. You won't always get it right, but always make it right. Let me say it again. Some of you, you should be writing this down. Most of us should be writing this down. In fact, can I encourage you, take notes, pull out your smartphone, start typing, because you know what? Maybe you're not feeling it right now, but in a day or two, when you're in the middle of a conflict, you're gonna go, oh, I needed that. And you're gonna have to go back and find the reference that you wrote down. So type this in, write this down. You won't always get it right, but always make it right. Maybe you take the hand of the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children. And you can lean on and say, we won't always get it right, but we will always make it right. So let me say this on behalf of the church. We won't always get it right, but we'll always make it right. Now, that, that little statement came out of a conversation this week. Sitting at my dining room table in the middle of some conflict. And I leaned forward over the table and I just said, look, here's the deal. We're not always gonna get it right, but we're always gonna make it right. And then I went, oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. And then I worked it into my sermon. And I thought, this is, this, is, this is exactly what Jesus was saying. He goes, things are gonna go wrong. 
You're not gonna get it right all the time. But when you get it wrong, make it right. And, and so here's the deal. Have you ever noticed that the reason why things often escalate in relationships and get wildly out of control was because something wasn't right inside of you? You had a hard day at work and then you take it out on your spouse. You notice that you're, you're a lot more agitated while driving when things were not right in your own life elsewhere. What happens is stuff boils over, right? Because a common statement I'll always make is what fills spills, right? And so if what was filling your day was frustration and irritation and anger, it's going to spill out in other places. And oftentimes it spills out in our relationships. The reality is that part of what's not working in your relationships is because of what's not working in your heart. If it's not working in my heart, I gotta go deeper as to what's wrong. The reality is that you and I have, were born into a blood feud with God because we were born with a sabotaging force inside of us that separated us from relationship with God and created a blood feud between us and God. We turned our back on God. And when things are not right in relationship with God and when you live in a blood feud with God, every other relationship is not healthy. Because God is the source of love. He's the source of forgiveness. He's the source of hope. He's the source of healthy relationship. And so if we're separated from right relationship with God, imagine how it affects every other aspect of our life in every relationship. We're in a blood feud with God? What? That's right. Sin, this sabotaging um, spiritual force inside of us, not only separated us from relationship with God, but requires death. Someone must die because of my sin and your sin. You know what God did? He didn't pursue us to destroy us. Listen to me. You know what God did? Some of you are already jumping ahead of me, but let me at least walk us through this. You know what God does? He does what never happens in Albania. <laughs> He becomes part of our family so that he could die. Someone in our family had to die. So Jesus steps from his throne in heaven, becomes part of the human family, and says, I'll take the blow. Everything that has to be paid for the blood feud between man and God, I'll take on myself. And Jesus becomes the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sin. You don't have to live in hiding anymore. You don't have to hide from God. You don't have to be distant from God, scared that he's gonna destroy you. You can come out of your home. You can come out of hiding. You have right relationship with God when you believe in Jesus by faith. Anyone who believes in Jesus, that he died in your place and he rose again for you is forgiven and given new and forever life. You can come out of hiding. You're free to have relationship with God because he loves you. And God did something that never happens in Albania. You know, when, when somebody gets murdered and then the murder is avenged, the families just end the blood feud. But trust me, there's no community barbecue. You know what God did? God not only ended the blood feud by taking it on himself, but he said, I wanna invite you over my family and I'm gonna call you my own. Not only did I become part of your family, but I'm inviting you to become part of my family. You're invited to become part of the family of God. He says, welcome home. So wait, wait, time out. Before we 
go any further and talk about real practical ways that you can apply this into your own conflicts in relationship, let's pause and make sure our heart is reconciled with God because reconciliation with each other doesn't work if we're not in right relationship with God. And so pause for a moment. If any of you, you need to end the blood feud between you and God, can I encourage you right now to pause and say yes to faith in Jesus Christ And when you believe in Jesus by faith, take hold of that promise that the blood feud is ended, that he has taken your place, forgiven your sins, and has given you new and forever life. And if that's where you're at, would you let us know? You could scan the QR code that's uh, that's on the screen. Scan that. When you fill out the form, you're letting one of our pastors know here in this campus, you're letting Pastor Spencer know, you're joining us online. We have a pastor that will reach out to you. And we just wanna celebrate with you as you are invited into the family of God and you're invited into Lifehouse family. Welcome home. Man, hopefully this is exciting to you. Now, I wanna bring this back to dealing with your own conflicts because this sets the stage. This is important. Think about it. Whatever the blood feud you have with others, it's nothing compared to the blood feud you and I had with God. And if God was willing to become one of us, to die in our place in order to reconcile us that we could be part of the family of God, what, how does that change conflict with each other? I mean, it's got to change something, right? When you know you've been forgiven so much and you've been given so much, think about what Jesus did. Jesus took the blow. He took on the blood feud and he comes in our heart and life and God's spirit lives in our spirit and he not only forgives and gives new life, but he transforms us so that we are changed to become more like him. Hold up, let me whisper that. You are changed to become more like Jesus. Are you acting like Jesus when it comes to conflict? Are you acting like Jesus in your disagreements? Are you acting like Jesus online? Are you acting like Jesus in the midst of a lot of the divisive stuff that's going on in our culture? Let me just jump back into the passage. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So obviously in that context, Jesus is making it very clear. You don't wait for them to come and say they're sorry to you. It's not that you only go to them because you've done something wrong and you need to go and say, hey, I'm sorry. The moment you have something, you know that person did me wrong. You don't hold it over their head. You don't, you don't try to avenge uh, the wrong. You go to them. You, you know what a key statement would be? Don't wait, initiate. Like that, again, try to be a little clever here. Don't wait, initiate. Some of you are waiting for them to come to you and say they're sorry. Don't wait, initiate. You've got to go and make things right. Often we wrongly believe that things will get better on their own. They won't. No, you know what conflict does? It metastasizes and destroys. It spreads. It gets other people involved Right? You triangulate your disagreement by inviting others into it. It grows, it spreads, and it becomes more destructive the longer you let it live. So you gotta initiate, don't wait. And then Jesus says it this way. Therefore, um, actually, let me make sure I set the context. So we're going back to Matthew chapter five where Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, he's doing a whole teaching. And this teaching, he specifically is talking about murder. 
And then he transitions from murder, like blood feuds, to this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus said, this will affect your relationship with God. Here's the key. If you make a commitment to reconciling relationship, then you're making a commitment to making the first move. Listen to me. I'm gonna have you say this with me. I will make the first move. It doesn't mean I'll throw the first punch. <laughs> it doesn't mean I get, to make, I get to throw the first insult. No, no. I will make the first move to reconcile. If every one of us commit to making the first move, then conflict doesn't grow out of control. It'll happen, right? You won't always get it right, but you'll always make it right. We won't always get it right, but we'll always make it right. It won't fix itself. You gotta be proactive when it comes to conflict resolution. And then when you go to them, what do you do? Because if you want to reconcile, you gotta be willing to make the first move. Now what do you do? Because you made the first move, you made the phone call, or you showed up, or you're standing in front of them, now what do you do? Okay, so the next rule is this. It's unfair not to fight. You like that? Some of you guys are like hurrying up and writing that down. But fight fair. It's unfair not to fight. I mean, you gotta deal with it. You can't hide from it. But fight fair. So what does it mean to fight fair? Assume the best. Believe the best. Be kind. Instead of weaponizing your words, use your words to build up. Use your words to heal. Use your words to communicate healthy things. Don't destroy. Fight fair. Rather than being condescending, be kind. Rather than pulling other people in and building alliances that you could build a little army to beat up their army or you can get your family into blood feud to destroy their family. No, no, no. Keep matters private. In fact, in, verse, in chapter 18, verse 15, it says, show him his fault. I mean, you go privately. Hey, here's what's wrong. If that doesn't work, you get someone else involved to say, hey, I'm trying to seek counsel here and I need help. I just need to address this with you. I mean, the point is that you don't bring a bunch of people in and make it a public affair. You don't post about your spouse online or about the person that hurts you online. You just deal with it in private so that you can keep it between you so that God can bring reconciliation. Get help when needed is really the point of when Jesus said, you know, go and bring two or three other witnesses. The point is, if you need to get a counselor or a pastor or an adult, another adult involved, you only bring people into the matter who can be part of the solution. If you are talking about problems and conflict with people who are not part of the solution, that's called gossip. Jesus continues, he says, but if he will not listen, take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, right? So this is what Jesus is getting at. He goes, keep it private. Don't get other people involved and only get people involved who will help bring healing. You know, if you talk to certain people, they're not gonna bring healing. They're gonna cause greater chaos. You gotta keep matters in the right places, Immediately after Jesus is teaching this, you gotta always appreciate Peter because Jesus' disciple Peter is always quick to speak up. Peter thinks he's being super generous and he says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? I mean, up to seven times? Because the rule of the law, the rabbis would often teach that you have to forgive somebody three times for the same offense. That's considered generous. And so Peter is exaggerating. I mean, seven times, it's like the perfect number, right? And Jesus, at least in this translation, he says, uh, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or another translation reads 70 times seven. And if you're counting, you miss the point. If you're keeping track, you miss the point. Like, you don't get to get to number 78 and be like, that's it. Now the gavel falls. No, Jesus is, make, is using hyperbole to make this statement that even if the person does the same offenses over and over and over and over, you keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Does that mean you allow abuse? No. Here's what it means. Forgiving is reconciling. You want to reconcile? We're not always going to get it right but we're always gonna make it right. The most powerful way you make it right is by forgiving. I started by talking about, or I mentioned about a blood feud between us and God, and I said, if, if God was willing to become part of our family in order to heal the blood feud between us and him, how much more should we be willing to reconcile things between each other? Forgiving is the gift that transforms and heals relationships. What you and I most need to do if we want to resolve conflict is be slow to anger and quick to forgive, not the opposite. At the end, after, after um, Jesus says 77 times, he goes on and he tells a story about, a, about um, two coworkers who work for the king. And the one man accumulated a debt that is so big that if he had worked a thousand lifetimes, he would never make enough to pay off his debt. And so he goes to the king because the king is like, hey, you need to pay up. And he goes to the king. He says, I can't pay, but give me time. So and you're talking about an ancient time when they had prison camps called labor camps. You became a slave in labor until you worked off your debt. Well, he would have had to work thousands of lifetimes. And his whole family, if they got thrown in prison, meaning the entire family unit, if they all got thrown into this prison camp, they would all have to work hundreds of lifetimes in order to pay off the debt. And so the man is pleading with the king, and the king says, you know what? Your debt is canceled. The man leaves the king's presence and goes, he's walking down the street, and he sees a buddy that lost a bet with him and owes him 20 bucks. He goes chasing him down, and like, hey, you gotta pay up. The man's like, I don't have the money, but I'll get it to you. He goes, no. And he has the man thrown into the labor camp until he pays him back his 20 bucks. Word gets back to the king and the king drags the man in. And Jesus says that the king's response is, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master had him, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters in your heart. And the point is, Forgiving is reconciling. We're called that because you've been forgiven much, you forgive much. When you've been loved so much by God, let that love fill so that it spills. When you've been forgiven so much, let the forgiveness fill up inside of you so that what fills spills. You only forgive others well when you are regularly reminded of how much you've been forgiven. 
Do, do you know that that's really the driving motivation behind missions? The reality is that every one of us are missionaries. You're a missionary in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in your workplace. Some become vocational missionaries. I mean, this is their career. This is what they're able to do with their entire life. But every one of us are sent by the love of God and the forgiveness of God to carry the gift of reconciling relationship between God and others. See, I connected the dots. Now, for you, how do you need to receive forgiveness so that you'll give forgiveness? Look, we won't always get it right but we'll always make it right. And the way we make it right is that we don't wait, we initiate. And if you're gonna fight, fight fair. And one of the most valuable, important parts is forgiving. When you came in, we gave you a cup for communion. If you're online, we encouraged you to grab something that you can take a, take a communion cup you know, with us. <laughs> The night Jesus was betrayed, it says that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken to end the blood feud. Now he didn't say it that way. This is my body broken for you. And then at the end of the meal, it says he took the cup. He says, this is the, my blood to give you a new relationship, a new covenant between you and God. Do you get it? The blood feud is ended through my broken body and my spilled blood. And it's not just that the blood feud is ended, it's that you have a new relationship with God. Wow. So before we just jump in and take this cup, Jesus said that you have to pause and if as you're coming to the altar, you recognize, man, I have a, somebody's got a problem with me or I've got a problem with somebody else. Man, drop what you're doing and make it right. As we go into this song, would you take some time? Two questions I want you to seriously consider. God, is there anything not right in my relationship with you? And God, help me to recognize anything not right in a relationship with others that I need to not wait, but initiate forgiveness. And whenever God begins to put in your heart, you need to act on that. All right, so we're gonna take a moment. I'm gonna give you space to pray. We're gonna have a prayer team available at either side of the platform. Those of you online, there's a prayer team willing to pray with you right now. If you need someone to pray with you, go and ask. In just a few moments as we get into this song, we're gonna lead you in taking communion. But we wanna make sure we give you space to make sure your heart is in the right place. So would you do that right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.